What is up, guys, and welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. Today we have a very, very special guest. This one goes all the way back for both Josh and myself. He is a director, actor, comedian. This man is a childhood dream. He is Joey from Full House, and he is Dave Coulier. It's time to sweat it out with Anthony Mendez and Josh Evans. What is up, guys, and welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. This one goes all the way back for me. He's a director, actor, comedian. This guy also owns now a clothing store line called Cut It Out Wear. You guys probably know him as Joey from Full House. Guys, please help me welcome Dave Coulier. How's it going, brother? Good, good. I didn't know if you, I don't know what's going on, on the other side there. If you have like a big reveal, if there's graphics <laughs> spinning and then I head towards the camera. So, so I'm just going to, you know, remain in this position and do nothing. So. Yeah. Well, well, we we'll, we'll, we'll add some we'll special add some features stuff. in for you there. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Beautiful. I love the special features. Yeah. So how you been, man? How's everything going? You know, um, you know, it's obviously amazing to speak to you and, and, you know, going back to my childhood days, you know, always loved you. Both of us. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, I appreciate that. You, you, that makes me feel good. Every time I, I, I hear people say that, you know, we, uh, it's, it's a big part of my life, full house and, and fuller house. And, and, um, you know, those people on that show, not just the cast, but the crew people are, are like my family. I mean, we talk all the time. We had a, we had an extraordinary group of people on Full House, and that carried over to Fuller House. And the remarkable thing is that we shot the original Full House at Warner Brothers on Stage Twenty Four, and when when we went back to shoot Fuller House, we ended up back on Stage Twenty Four wow. at Warner Brothers, which was a very famous stage. We were there, and then Friends was there after us, and then Mike and Molly was there. Uh, Matt LeBlanc had his show Joey on that stage. So that was always the good luck stage. Like, wow. ooh, you go into syndication. Wow. Yeah. You know, you, you become yeah. a big hit if you're on 24. Did so. that happen by accident going back to that same stage or was that done purposely? Yes. It was, um, it was not really by design, but we knew we were going back to Warner Brothers. Uh, it was Warner Horizon and Netflix. And, um, you know, it was surprising not only to be on that same stage, uh, but not a lot has changed the way we shoot television shows from back in the 80s. It's pretty much the same process. And kind of take us back to that 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 call you got when you heard that you were going to be on Full House, like the original. How, how was that for you? I mean, such a transformative, you know, part for you and, and catapulted your career, I'm sure. You know, w what was that moment like when you got the call, like, okay, I'm going to be on the show. Did you think it was going to be huge? I mean, some, some, obviously some, some big actors like yourself, John Stamos, you know, uh, the Olsen twins blew them up. You know, it's, it's, it's had to have been a, a phenomenal ride. Well, I was uh, a stand-up comic and I was touring the country and I had hosted a show on Nickelodeon called out of control. I had done stand up on the tonight show when Johnny Carson hosting. 
Um, you know, so my whole goal was to be on a sitcom and, uh, you know, I, I had, had been an actor. I had been on Newhart. I had been on family ties. I was in a Cheech and Chong movie. So, so I was, you know, I was working my way up to be an actor. And then, um, I got an audition for Saturday night live right before full house and uh, they brought me onto the show, and before I ever made it to New York, they fired me. So before I ever started, I got fired. <laughs> Welcome to uh, TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? right. And uh, I had told everybody that I was moving to New York, I was going to be on SNL, and then right before I was supposed to go, they said, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to work out with the cast that we have. And so I was, I was pretty crushed. And so then I get this script called Full House. I read it and I go in and I audition and I get it. And they said, we're going to shoot the pilot. So we shot the whole pilot. And then um, Bob Saget, who was in New York doing the CBS morning program, got fired from that show. And so then Jen Franklin, our creator, our show creator of Full House said, hey, I want you and Stamos to uh, do a screen test with a new actor. We're like, new actor? We just shot the pilot. I said, it's a guy by the name of Bob Saget. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm friends with Bob. We were comics. I, you know, when I first moved to LA, I slept on his couch for a month. I saw him in and high so, school. He's he's great. I love his comedy. Yeah. He's funny. Bob is funny. He's, uh, I always tell people, people he's my filthy Jewish sister. <laughs> so, uh, so then we did a screen test with Bob at ABC and ABC loved what they saw. So we had to go back in, rebuild the sets, which cost a fortune. And they plugged Bob into all the scenes where the previous actor was. And we reshot the show. And then the show got picked up for 13 episodes. And you don't know that a show is going to be a hit. You never know. The audience determines that for you. And so it was, it was an amazing ride to go from, virtual obscurity for me to it was like being shot out of a cannon in front of the world not just the united states we eventually went into syndication in over 100 countries around the world so it was it was an incredible thing and for me it was like comedy college because <laughs> um, i didn't go to college i went right from college prep high school to the world of stand up and so I always tell people I didn't go to college. I, I couldn't find a parking spot. <laughs> so, so, uh, so for me, I treated it like it was school and it was an incredible place to, to learn and have all of these, um, you know, all of these assets at your fingertips, you know, to be able to just say, Hey, I, I need a guitar for this scene. And the prop guy would go and boom, show up with a guitar. <laughs> and so it was an, an incredible uh, place to have comedy resources. It was like a giant comedy toy box and whatever I wanted to make you something had. funny, I had access to. So it was, it was incredible. And, and the people were incredible and, and, um, you know, it was, it was a heck of a ride. So what would you say really made full house stand out? Like, what do you think was it that really separated itself from all the other shows during that era and really catapulted the way that it caught traction and really took off? It was a different kind of family comedy. It was, it had a lot of heart. We told each other we loved each other on camera, which a lot of sitcoms, hardly any ever did. 
But we had that heart moment uh, every show where we would really tell each other how important we were to each other. And, and at the time, kids and families really responded to that. This was something new for them. And we, we tackled a lot of subjects. We, we did a lot of things that sitcoms weren't doing. We were, we were uh, very inclusive with different races and, and different religions. And, and we were, we were very inclusive and we were one of the sh- first shows to really, to really do that. And we talked about a lot of different things about drug abuse. We talked about DJ having her, you know, first period, you know, it was, it was a lot of things that sitcoms weren't doing and kids really, really gravitated towards that for, for a lot of kids, you know, speaking to people like you guys who, you know, may have grown up on the show. It, for them, it was kind of like video comfort food. And I hear from so many people who grew up watching the show, uh, boy, I wanted to be a part of your family or I had a tough childhood and you guys really helped me through my parents' divorce or drug abuse or, you know, uh, so many things, depression. And, and, and that show was really kind of an escape for a lot of, you know, for a whole, uh, you know, era of, of kids and families. And we're, we're very proud of that. Yeah. So I think that's what set us apart. I mean, I was definitely one of those kids. You know, I come from a, a single parent home. My mom worked, you know, many mm-hmm. jobs to try to, to make ends meet. I come from a, a pretty low income area in upstate New York. And it was one of the, and, and my family dynamic is like very, very funky. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I've never really met my father. My sister's dad was in my life, you know, on and off. And it just kind of like watching Full House gave me the perspective that like you could have that really funky family dynamic where, yeah. you know, you have the, the funny yeah. comedic uncle and you have, you know, the serious aunt. And, you know, it it just made me realize that like, you know, at a really young age that everyone's family is really different. And everyone can be kind of quirky and, you know, you can have trouble and you can fight and you can argue, you can also laugh and, you know, share those stories. And it, it was such an impactful part of my life. And I know Anthony and I talked, uh, you know, a bunch before, before this, this recording. And, you know, it was, it was really one of those shows growing up that set the tone for, you know, how you could have differences with inside your family, but still get along and still enjoy the, all of those good memories together. And seeing the importance at the end of the day, what family's all about, you know, and how you guys would always end it and how you guys always came together. I thought it was so cool, you know, and I'd always, and it's funny because he said that because we would, I was the same. I always, man, how cool would it be able to replicate certain things from Full House? I remember as a little kid, like (laughs) thinking that, you know, and it's just, it's, 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 it's inspiring. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things that forever will be in my heart because I was a huge fan. Thanks. You know, uh, families come in, in many different shapes and sizes and colors, and 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 we were one of those families. We were single dads to the kids, really, and we we tackled a lot of issues. We talked about birth and we talked about death, and um, things that normal families go through. You know, and and Tom Miller and Bob Boyette, who are executive producers, were very smart. They produced Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy. Full House, um, Perfect Strangers, Family Matters. I mean, they produced everything. They were gigantic, uh, a producing machine. And very early on, we were kind of trying to navigate the waters of television to figure out what our show was. And they pulled us aside after about six episodes because they didn't know if the show was going to be kind of 
you know, ecocentric to the three guys, me, John and Bob, or towards the three kids. And they pulled us in uh, and we had this big meeting and they said, you know, this show is a family show. You guys are a family. It's really not about just three guys. It's really not about just the three kids. You guys are a family. And that's how we're going to continue to proceed here. And uh, it worked. And it was a very smart call on their part, uh, letting us know and kind of giving that as our operating system of you guys are a family. And, um, you know, uh, for us, it, it made a lot of sense. When you were working on set, did you ever... <laughs> If you were working with one of the twins, either Mary-Kate or Ashley, did you ever mistake them? I mean, they were so, you know, they were young like us when when, when the show was going on. And they look exactly the same back then, you know? So it's like, how can you tell them apart? I could always tell them apart. And, um, you know, they just had different personalities. And they had a little bit different uh, looks in their eyes. So I could always tell them apart. You know, it's funny because I have video from back then of, uh, I loved working with all the kids. I took, I kid Candace because I took her to the circus when she was 10 years old oh, and cute. I picked her up at her house and her mom was okay. You guys have fun at the circus. <laughs> we went to Cirque du Soleil in Santa Monica. And I loved working with the kids awesome. and, and I have video somewhere where I convinced Mary Kate and Ashley, they were probably only about four years old. And I convinced them on our stage that if they ran really fast and flapped their arms as fast as they could and said, tweet, tweet, that they could get airborne. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we played little jokes like that with the kids all the oh, time, but I have yeah, video yeah. somewhere. I, I've got to find that video. I mean, but, you, um, you guys are all so, so funny though. It yeah. must've been great to kind of, you know, I it's love messing with my little natural. nieces and nephews. You know, it's like some of my favorite things to do. You guys must've had a field day with that. We did. You know, we, we played a lot of practical jokes and, and Bob and I come from the world of stand-up. So, I mean, we're around filthy mouth people our entire lives. And now we're thrust into this world with little kids <laughs> everywhere, you know, and must've been tough for him. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a, it was a tougher adjustment for Bob than it was <laughs> for me, but, but uh, you know, we, we, just adored those kids. And to this day, we're all still so very close. I, you know, I, I talk to Candace all the time. Um, my wife is a, a photographer and she shoots a lot of Candace's uh, stuff for her books and her movies and uh, whatever she's doing. And so we talk all the time and I set Candace up with her husband, Val Bure, who's wow, a, wow. who actually played for the Montreal Canadians. We were talking before the interview here and um, they're still together and they have three kids. And, and so it, we really are off camera, kind of this weird dysfunctional family that really <laughs> loves each other. So it's really cool though. That's great to hear that. And, and it really goes to show you too, like, you know, family doesn't only mean has to be blood. You know what I mean? And I, and it's just the fact that you yeah. guys have been able to stay connected um, and, and keep this family, you know, environment together and still meet each other. Heck, you guys got Fuller House, uh, which I definitely would love to dive into. But it's so cool to see that dynamic continue moving on and how you guys been able to just keep that core together. So moving into Fuller House, what brought that back? Like, how was that conversation? Was it one of you guys started it or was it collectively? Like, how was that? You know, Stamos always takes credit for it, but I always said, you know, we should bring the show back. You know, 
we should bring the show back. We should do the show. And then John kept calling me and he said, you know, this thing's going to happen. You know, we're going to bring the show back with Warner brothers and blah, blah, blah. And, and so, uh, you know, we pitched the show back to, uh, ABC and ABC was our original home and they passed. And then we end up on Netflix and we win the People's Choice Award, yeah, the Kids' call. Choice yeah. Award. Yeah, the good, good Choice call. Award. We get nominated for an Emmy, and I believe it was—I think it was the either the People's Choice or the Teen Choice Awards were on um, were on aired on ABC, and they had to watch us go up and collect <laughs> awards. Such a good on one of their broadcasts. I thought, ah, that that's kind of a little yeah. bit of retribution there. Yeah, that's but uh, Stamos would call me. And he would call me like once every six months and he'd go, Hey, this show's really happening. And I said, well, I'll be out on the golf course. Just let me know when it happens. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then he called and he said, you know, uh, your agent's going to call you cause we're putting a deal together. And I said, Oh, okay, this is real. And then, um, you know, they told me what the show was going to be that it was kind of, you know, we were going to be full house 2.0. And that the show was going to center around the girls and their lives and that we would come in and kind of, you know, support them. And uh, it was remarkable. Uh, when I went back to Warner Brothers and saw our set being built on that stage, I sat in the bleachers and just watched the workmen for about two hours. And I started to cry because uh, you never think you're going to be able to go back home again. Everybody says, oh, you can never go back home again. But we got to go back home. And uh, just just being there in that moment uh, was very, very emotional for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think, too, it, it goes to show, how one, how close you guys really are because of that chemistry, being able to, you know, bring back, essentially write a reboot. And it, so often you see sitcoms that come back from a reboot and they, they, they tank. Right. And it, it just goes to show like really the chemistry that you guys must've had and, and how much you guys really do care for each other because it, you not only had such a huge hit with full house, but now fuller house is doing so well as well. You know, it's, it's, it's gotta be incredible not only to go back to that, that exact set. Right. But to have so much success at the same place. Yeah, and we um, we knew that we were a big hit in syndication on Nick at Night or Nickelodeon or, you know, we had kind of made our way through all the different syndication, you know, uh, networks. And so we knew that we we were a huge hit in syndication, and we'd never been off the air since 1987, which is pretty incredible. We've been playing Truly. somewhere in syndication uh, since then. And so we knew we had this big core audience. We just didn't know if, if they would come back for this. And then they came back. And the night that we premiered on Netflix, um, I believe it was ABC. I hate to keep taking shots at ABC, but I believe <laughs> on that night uh, we uh, caused them to lose 20% of their actual viewers. Wow. I, don't quote me on that. Uh, I'm sure someone will will try to, but you know that was part of the research that we heard um, through the pipeline. We'll make that the social clip. Don't worry. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. No more new shows for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that that's it's just so cool to be able to see that and the fan base. You know, going to the fan base itself, like you're getting now the 
the generation at the time who they had their kids, their kids were watching, and now the kids are adults, you know, watching Fuller House, and now they're introducing it to their little kids. Like, look, I used to watch that show when I was a little kid, you know, and yeah. then the parents are watching it. So it's the parents, the kids and other parents, and the and the and the parents' kids. And I think it's just really cool to be able to like pass that down generation to generation and keep that moving forward. I think it's truly amazing. Yeah. Now, when yeah, I and go go so, ahead. Sorry, now I was gonna say on the, on the flip side of things, I know you being a producer and director, did you have partake in that in in helping direct and produce some of the of the fuller house i wasn't on the production side or the writing side but i was on the directing side and so uh, my job as a director is to work with the actors work with the writers and producers and coordinate notes between the uh the network and the studio which is netflix and and warner horizon and it seemed like every episode I was given to direct was like, oh, man, Dave, you're going to do the Christmas episode. It's a gigantic episode. <laughs> and so I, I had dancers. I had special effects. I had, uh, I had uh, 15 actors. I had Santa Claus. I had a dog. I had a rabbit. I had to uh, work with... Uh, uh, stunt people. I had to work with um, a dog trainer and an animal trainer that in the scene, the dog has to actually hand a carrot over to a live rabbit. And I just thought, why me? Why? <laughs> Kids, animals, dancers. But it turned out to be incredible. Um, it was, and it was a learning experience for me as well. Um, you know, I really took it upon myself to, to learn as much as I could as a director. And so when there were really big episodes, I was prepared. I would get up at three 30 in the morning and look at all my script notes and make sure I knew what everybody was going to be doing. Cause when you're directing a sitcom, a big sitcom like that for a big network and a big, a big streamer and a big studio, you've got 150 people that, when somebody comes up to you and says, um, where do you want the Christmas tree? You go right there. You can't go. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> because you've got four cameras and you've got 150 people who are, are hanging on every one of your decisions and it's a domino effect. Uh, and people will look at you like you're a moron. If you go, uh, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> and they'll just go, Oh, he sucks. So was there ever a time where you're like, oh man, I should have not put it in there, but actually end up working being there. You know, it's, it's, it's like a big, a sitcom is, is a huge piece of clay. And so you've got this raw piece of clay and you, then you've got to apply words to it. And so you start molding the clay and then you realize that you've got to position all of these actors. And then you realize I've got four cameras, sometimes five cameras, that I've got to be able to block all of this and coordinate everything so that it's, it's, it's like a ballet, but I've also got sound people up above. I've also got prop people, set decorators. I've got lighting people. I've got, uh, you know, I've got the camera department. Um, and then I've, I've got to make it funny. And so, uh, and then you've got to coordinate with what the writers are trying to convey and make the actors happy. So I have to be a liaison wow. between all these people. And then, in, you know, you get notes from Netflix. They have their opinion of what the show should be. And Warner, Warner brothers 
um, executives also have their notes and what they envision the show to be. So it's this kind of coordinated effort that you have to be a uh, symphony conductor and you have to know what every note is and you have to know what every single person is playing in that orchestra or it flops because you're going to be, you've got four days to do it and you've got to uh, coordinate all of that. And then, and there's an audience coming on Friday night and you better have this thing done by the time that audience comes. And then you're acting so, in some of the stuff too. So <laughs> acting in some of the stuff. Yeah. I, I had to, as when I was acting and directing, I kicked myself off the set a couple times because I sucked as an actor to so get off my set. <laughs> but uh, I love it. I love the challenge and, and it, uh, it services both sides of my, my brain. You know, I have a creative side, I have a very techie side and uh, I absolutely, love directing and the bigger the project for my you know for my head the better i i love the challenge i i want to dive a little bit into your your stand-up career because you know when we were growing up when you when you were on full house it, it seemed like the only way a comedian really blew up was to get on a sitcom right you had like news radio you had you know you with full house uh there's a couple other out there how has it been for you over your whole stand-up career to really see the transition of the industry, right? To like where, you know, social media has become such a big thing. And now there's so many different comedians being able to get their message out there, be funny, you know, share some of their, their stories and their experiences with people and, and not need that, you know, broadcast network to be able to get on that, the, uh, a bigger platform. I think it's phenomenal. I love it. I love watching new comedians. There's so many talented people out there. Uh, it inspires me because when I was a young comedian, I started doing stand-up when I was 18 years old professionally. And so what really blew the doors open for my, my class, my era, was when Robin Williams uh, entered the scene and when Steve Martin uh, blew up. You know, and here's a guy in a white suit putting balloons on his head in front of 25,000 people. Mm. And Robin Williams just completely blew the doors off of the traditional stand-up. Um, you know, because before that, it was the only place to really, really make your mark as, as a stand-up comedian was on The Tonight Show. And you came out and you did your six minutes of jokes and Johnny gave you the okay sign and you you walked off. So now here's two guys that are doing stuff that they're not going to do on the tonight show. Yeah. And it, and it gave guys like me who were blowing hand farts and doing voices. Uh, suddenly I thought, wow, I, I can, I can just jump right in here and do what I envision uh, to be funny. And so that was, that was a remarkable time. And I think that um, that was one transition of comedians, because my group was Jay Leno, Gary Shandling, Dennis Miller, Louis Anderson, Howie Mandel, Jim Carrey, J Jerry Seinfeld, um, you Legends. know, Chris Rock, uh, Eddie Murphy, David Letterman, George Carlin. You know that I was kind of the young guy in that group, and and um, it was a phenomenal group of comedians, and it was it was really inspiring for me then and. I think social media is, is a big inspiration for comedians now. Um, 
I mean, I, I love Chappelle. I love Bill Burr. I love oh, Bill Burr is one of my favorites. Love you him. know, I mean, they're so good. They're just, they're at the top of their game and it's, and it's inspiring to see guys like that. And I think social media is a big part of building careers now. And, um, it's, it's really interesting what's going on. My, my, uh, I get very excited to, to see new new comedians and new comedy. I gotta say real quick, it's funny because when you said the lineup, I was like, that's like the the the, the Michael Jordan All Star Dream Team, and then you got that's the like the Space Jam version of, <laughs> of comedy. No, but you know, and and you see all these new guys coming up, right? Like Andrew Schultz, and, and you know, uh, just a just an I, he's one of my my favorite up and coming comedians. I think you know. You guys really paved such a such an opening for what has really now become like the the last frontier of like being able to relax and just laugh at shit. And the females too, you know? a lot of big females oh, comedians coming out. Oh yeah, tons. yeah. You know, Amy but, Schumer. I love Amy yeah. Schumer. She's yeah, just she's phenomenal. Yeah. I love her. There's so many women that are so funny. Like uh, Melissa McCarthy, I think is just wonderful. Uh, Amy Schumer, Silver, uh, you know, Sarah Silverman. Um, it, there's so many, uh, fortune Feimster. I don't know if you've seen her. Yeah. She's uh, hilarious. She's the best. She's yeah, great. She's really great. You know, and, great. and I love seeing these women who are so funny, being able to shine in movies and television and the SNL women are just phenomenally funny. I love them. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it still inspires guys like me, you know, I, I have to kind of look to where I get inspiration. I'm doing a tour of 24 U.S. Air Force bases uh, in 2021. And so, you know, I've got a ton of new material and I've got to get back out there in comedy clubs and yeah. start over yeah. again. If you're down you know? here, you got to let us know. Oh yeah, for sure. Back. We'll be in the front. We'll be in the front row. Um, <laughs> you know, but I really think comedy is one of those, one of those industries, right. And in stand up where, you can really just say whatever the fuck you want to say. And no, you know, for the most part, you know, other than maybe a couple hecklers, which, you know, most likely are going to get shot down pretty quick from, from the professionals like you guys, which I also love seeing. I think that that's, that's hilarious. But, um, you know, where you're just able to say the things that, you know, all of the rest of us still think sometimes, you know, even if it's just stupid and funny, but it's like, you know, we, you know, a lot of us can't, or, or feel like we can't say those things anymore. So it really is like the last frontier of, of free speech, like truly free speech. Yeah. And I think we have to be very careful right now as a society, because comedians have always peeled away the social strata that exists. They talk about um, the 900 pound gorilla in the room that no one's going to mention, but the comedian's going to bring it right into your face and hold it up to your face and show it to you. And that relieves a lot of tension in our society. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that happen in the 1920s. We saw it happen again in the 40s. We saw it happen again in the 60s um, with your Richard Pryors and George Carlin's. Uh, we saw it in the 80s with my group that, you know, um, exploded. Saw it again in the 2000s. And then what happened was is suddenly social media became a big part of our lives. And comedians suddenly had to be very careful of what they were saying. And, you know, it, you have to be able to talk about differences. We're not all the same. You've got to be able to talk about our differences because we are different yep. and we should That's shine a light on that. Yeah. 
And we should laugh at ourselves. We should laugh about why we're unique and we should laugh about why we're different. And when you can't do that any longer, it's a really dangerous time. And, um, you know, I, I generally do a pretty PG act, you know, I, I, I might say shit, but you know, it's used in a way where it's at a very important time where people haven't heard me swear for 45 (laughs) minutes and it kind of builds up and I say that, but you know, when you can't, when you can't talk about that 900 pound gorilla in the room any longer, uh, that's, that's kind of, you know, you're, you're really treading on uh, some dangerous uh, social ground there. So, you know, Don Rickles offended everybody. (laughs) When you went to a Don Rickles show, uh, he talked about the African-American in the room, the Asian in the room, the Latino in the room, the white guy in the room. He talked to the Indian in the room. He talked about everybody in that room. Nobody was safe. And it's a shame because I don't know that a Don Rickles could exist right now, but there's a Don Rickles out there somewhere who's coming. And the pen, when the pendulum swings back the other way to where we all go, why are we taking ourselves so serious? I just want to get back to laughing. That Don Rickles is going to come out and crush the world. And I can't wait for that because we really need, you know, either that man or that woman to rip away the social layers that exist like a scab in our society. And, you know, uh, it's an important thing. Yeah. Well, you, need to laugh. <laughs> you, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned George Carlin and his last special on HBO was really the first time I, 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 I can remember where it's like, it's okay to laugh at other people and it's okay to laugh at yourself. And like, that doesn't make you a shit person. No. You know, like right. things are right. funny. People do funny things and you can acknowledge those things and you know, you can be a little more aggressive with your style of acknowledging that. And, you know, sure the person might be offended in a split second, but then they might be able to look at it, you know, later in the day and go, well, you know, maybe I was being a jackass and that was kind of funny, you know, and yeah. that, yeah. that type of in your face comedy, I think is so important because, you know, things have gotten a little muted down. In, in today's society. Yeah. And, and there are trigger words that, that people um, have now that if I, you know, I used to tell some jokes about, you know, I'm the whitest guy in the room and, you know, I would talk about the differences between me and someone who's from the Middle East or a Latino or whatever. And now there are trigger words to where, I'll go and I'll do some college dates. And if you even say like, so this Middle Eastern lady comes up to me and and you see the students tense up and they go, ooh, ooh. And I'm like, and, and I'll I'll stop the show and I'll go, what are you ooing at? You don't even know what <laughs> yeah. to say. I just said a trigger word and you're expecting me to completely rip on somebody who's Middle Eastern. Mm. And that's not where I'm going at all. Or, you know, um, Bruce Jenner was a friend of mine, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, but I knew him as Bruce. And so I talked, I did a show when he was Bruce and we did a show called Skating with Celebrities on Fox. I skated with Nancy Kerrigan and uh, I did this whole bit where I hadn't seen Bruce in a long time, but he used to date my ex-wife and she told me, decades ago that he wanted to be Nikki Jenner. And so I kept that as a secret all these years. Like no one's going to believe that Bruce Jenner is going to be 
wants to be a woman, you know? So then after he came out and, you know, transitioned to Caitlin, um, I talked about it in, in the media and Bruce actually sent a message back to me and said, Hey, thanks for keeping my secret all these years. But my bit was, you know, I hadn't seen Bruce and suddenly he looks a little different. His features look a little feminine. And I'm thinking, is he going through this process to become a woman? Like what's going on here? And so then I would, you know, he'd wear really tight pants skating and I'm, I'm skating by him trying to check out his package. Like, is, that, <laughs> is it still there? You know, is, that a, yeah. is that a wiener or a huge camel toe? What is yeah. And so I did that. I did that whole bit a few years ago. I was at a, I was at a college in upstate New York. And uh, after the, you know, I heard, Ooh, during the show. And I said, no, 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 this is a personal story. It's not like I don't know the man or ever had a pass with him. This is a true story. You guys are ooing at. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to rewrite history because you guys are that fragile. I'm telling a real story right now. And so people uh, from the college got on social media and they said I was transphobic. And I thought you couldn't be further from the the truth saying that. I mean, but my point of this whole thing is, is it's very easy for people to kind of sit in the weeds and be very accusatory. Right. uh, Because, you know, they're, um, you know, they're faceless and it's easy to throw hand grenades over the fence. uh, You know, when no one knows who's throwing the hand grenades. So so I think we need to just all calm down and um, realize that we're all in this together and we need to joke about it. Well, I I think it's, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think it's all about perstective Like you said, right. It's like, you're also a a stand-up comedian. Like you are supposed to be funny. Like, you know, thing you're going to push the edge sometimes. Right. But that's, that's what you should be doing to try to find what's funny. You know, some, some things are going to yeah. work. Some things aren't going to work, you know, and you, you have to test that out, you know, but the big problem now is that you can, you know, on your phone, you can record something out of context yep. and go and play it somewhere. And people don't really know the context of what was being said. And they can just say, he's a racist. Yep. She's a racist. And you're just like having to defend yourself because someone wants to take you down or take a shot at you in a way that's very convenient when you can edit something. That's Mm -hmm. what I was going to say. Now you can alter everything. So you can even pick what you only want to show and not show the whole thing and make it sound like it's worse than what it is or, you know, really, you know, focus on one area and it's like, Oh, write whatever you want. Caption blows up memes everywhere. People make it go viral. Yeah. It's sad. Well, now they so, have those deep fakes too. Yeah, you know, you, that. you have enough, yeah. you have enough voice work out there where I'm sure they could come up with a million different things that you said. You know? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I don't want to get on a soapbox here and, and rip on, you know, the world or social media or anything, but I just think we need to laugh. We yeah, really need to just kind of just, take a deep breath. We've all been through really tough times this entire year. We've lost people in our lives. We've given up a lot of our interaction with people. It's definitely going to change our world forever. Um, People are saying it's our new normal. Our new normal is not going to be normal anymore. So I think we just need to get along and joke and laugh and not be accusing everybody of being a rapist or a a racist, or it's just like, it's so easy to, you know, ruin someone's life 
um, nowadays. And, you know, but social media is also a great thing. Right. Have you seen that? Have you seen social dilemma yet? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I saw it blew my mind, you know, and we're, we're, we're in the social media realm, you know, you're used to it. I'm sure where, and I, I always try to tell people like, listen, I don't think of social media. Like most people think of social media. Like I'm, I think of, Normal people who are on social media, for lack of a better term, are more like, uh, you know, they're the people playing the video game. And I feel like I'm the one selling the software, you know, like I know enough about the inner workings of social media to know when I'm getting sucked in and I need to take a step back. Whereas I feel like most people don't. They're just like, oh, fuck, more, more Facebook videos, more face, more, more drama, more this. Get caught down the rabbit hole. You know, and if not saying that I don't get not saying that I don't go down these these you know black holes on Facebook videos too I do I fall trap where I'm like oh fuck I look at my watch and I'm like I've been watching Facebook (laughs) videos for three hours like I gotta get on but I kind of know like okay I need to just shut my brain off and kind of go down these rabbit holes but you know for most people it's you know they don't even realize how addictive and and how manipulative it really can be yeah, how much they're consuming you know i tell people it's like i get you know my friends my clients so ask me like anthony like you must be on social media 24 7 because i run my whole business and i do everything through there um, i do a lot of work and with brands and stuff and my clients and i'm like guys if you're only new like i'd show them my an activity hour. an hour to an hour and 15 20 minutes max and they're like but how is that possible and i go because i go in there with an intention to do what i need to do and then i get myself out of it and i and i work on the back on the back end stuff that i know i need to do that's productive and then i go in there with a purpose you know and they're like dude i'm in here for seven eight hours and i'm like Dude, holy crap. And I was like, you told that I was like, that's yeah. why you told me you're having issues with this and this and this. I go, you're you're not prioritizing your time. So the one thing it, it's so true. And and the one thing in social dilemma when I watched that, the one thing that really, really um really kind of got me thinking and really spun my head around was when they were talking about, you know, our phones. And how our brains really haven't evolved in thousands of years, but this little device uh, that we hold in our hands has evolved to the tune of exponential a trillion times. So we really aren't advanced enough to keep up with the AI that is on our phones, that is manipulating us, that is, um, you know, forcing us to go in certain directions. And, so and, and one of the other things was that, you know, that, that phone that we have is guiding us towards a path mm-hmm. and it's all being manipulated by someone or something or some kind of AI on the other side of that screen to get us to go down yeah. that path. Yeah. And so I'm like you, I, <laughs> you know, we have no cell Sunday at my house. No That's Sunday. great. And so no cell Sunday and we just don't, it's like, no, awesome. you can't have your phone on Sunday. I'll, t- yeah. I'll so. tell you something like, it's so scary that you brought up the AI thing with a, with a phone. It's so scary to even think like phone being so small. Imagine, <laughs> imagine these AI technology projects that they're really working on and a phone can do this much. Imagine what they got over there. What can that really do? Well, that didn't, future AI didn't technology? Google or one of these big tech companies had an AI software that shut itself down because yeah. it was too smart. Yeah. They it's were like, two, I, I, two talking to each other and right. they were creating their own language and they didn't even know what the yeah. hell was going on. <laughs> you know, but, but to go. Oh. <laughs> to, it's interesting stuff. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, we can sit here and talk about this all day about technology and how it influences, influences our, our, in our, our, 
everything we do socially in the world now. It's pretty amazing. And I I think a good, you know, something that we can kind of like, we can pivot from this after, but I think something, you know, that's super important for people to understand is that if you think that there's too much drama, too much negative stuff on your social media, you can change that. Like, (laughs) like, the, the AI, the, the algorithm works so that it shows you the stuff that you want to see more of. So if you keep watching the negative political stuff from like Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, that's all you're going to get. But if you right. start looking, you know, if you start looking for, you know, happier things or like, you know, oh, I want to look at, you know, golden retriever puppies. And you look at that for two weeks, like I can that's guarantee you your whole feed is going to be golden retriever puppies. And then puppies. you think your world is golden retrievers. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so you're in a lot more control than you think. But, you know, I think... Kind of back to going back to stand-up comedy, I think that, you know, us being able, now that things are opening up again and people are allowed to go back to shows, I think that that's going to really help kind of, you know, move move the tide a little bit towards people being able to, to tone down the negative stuff in their life and be able to relax and go back to laughing and enjoying the, the finer things in life. Yeah, and, and man... Uh, I think comedy clubs are going to explode once oh, everything huge. opens up because people are like, man, I, it's been miserable for a year. I just yeah. want to go out and laugh and have yeah. a couple of beers, you know? Did you ever do any of those? I know drive through shows have been kind of big. I know like Burt Kreischer and all those guys have been doing them. Have you done any of those? I really haven't. Uh, you know, um, I, I've done some appearances for, for colleges and, and business conventions just, you know, like this via Zoom. And uh, they've been pretty good experiences. Um, but for me to try and do stand-up where I'm not hearing the laughs, for me, would be really difficult. Uh, I love that that live energy. I, I thrive on it. And I'm nervous until I get to the microphone. And then when I finally get to the mic, I'm like, oh, okay, good, I'm home. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So, so how, how has the whole pandemic kind of been for you? What adjustments have you made? I mean, obviously you're, you're probably busy with the TV show. I, um, I, you know, people have been, you know, telling me how miserable they are and this and that. I, I really kind of dig it. It's like a year off where I can write. I've been so creative. I, uh, remodeled a house. I, um, I'm starting a new company, which I'm launching in February called Grilled Cheese Media. Awesome. Congrats. And uh, it is a, a digital media company, and uh, it's all family programming. So Love you know, the name, animation. by the way. Love the name. What's that? I love, love the, the name. Names, yeah. Oh, cool. thanks. Well, you know, I, I thought a grilled cheese is so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, and I just thought, well, that's I, a perfect name for a company. It's, you know, simple ingredients. Listen, I had one the other night. I'm not going to lie. I had, I had grilled cheese and tomato soup. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had yeah. three it's, cheese grilled You know, cheese. so, uh, so that was kind of the, you know, the reason why I came up with the name. I just loved grilled cheese and, and I thought, well, simple ingredients and great taste. And that's kind of all I have, I think is, you know, really <laughs> simple ingredients. And I'd like to think I have good taste when it comes to comedy and, and animation. So we're going to launch this company in, in February. And um, I've been working with some some great people who have uh, kind of guided me along the way uh, from Warner Brothers and Cartoon Network and, and a couple of other big companies. And so I realized, you know, I've, I've been walking down this entertainment path in the family space for 40 years now, uh, more than, and I realized I have a lot to say and I have a lot to give back now other than being on camera. 
that there's a lot of stuff behind the camera that I know that I can give back to people. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about this. We're, 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 you know, we've got so many intellectual properties. We've got five movies that are written. We've got, uh, five animated shows. We've got, um, digital books for kids. Uh, so we're, we're really, uh, ready to just kind of launch into the world and start building content. Are you doing any of the voiceover work for any of those, uh, those animated shows? I, I might, I might, um, you know, kids are kind of the stars mm. of the shows. I may play like, you know, the, the weird alien grandfather or something. <laughs> have you done a lot of, of voiceover work in the past? And if you have like, how, how I have, I, yeah. I'm always interested to see how like that experience is, right? Cause you're kind of just stuck in a booth by yourself or do you have other actors and actresses there? And, and how uh, much of it is in natural too? Cause I, I, some, I want, I would love to know, like, do you guys follow a script to the T or do you guys also go off script and kind of do your own thing? It depends what the nature of the show is and what the writers and the producers want. Um, some shows, uh, like I worked on Muppet Babies uh, for eight years on CBS. And um, that was uh, a pretty, we had to really stick to the script because we were telling a, a, a very, you know, guided story and there was music and, you know, character interactions. Um you know, I work on shows like Robot Chicken, and they tend to be a little looser. You know, Seth Green. Just um, a little bit? <laughs> a little yeah. bit. You know, that's the ultimate pot smoker show. Oh, that's man. I, I, one of my favorite show. shows in high school and college. I definitely yeah, smoked a lot yeah. of joints to that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I work on Curious George and Voltron and American Dad and and uh, China, Illinois for Adult Swim. And, and um it really kind of depends on the producers. You know, sometimes I'll say something really funny and they'll go, Ooh, we have to put that in the script. Um, but there's other producers and writers that just want their words to, you know, uh, build the story. Um, but uh, I love doing that kind of work. Uh, I just, I just love it. I was the pitch man for Kellogg's raisin brand for six years. Uh, Geico for, um, for a year. Uh, I love doing that kind of stuff, you know, cause you can, uh, especially now, cause you can kind of record in your, your garage, mm. you know, you don't have to leave. <laughs> so, but, but I love that stuff. And, and, uh, it's been a big part of my world for so long that I want to give back now. That's I want to give back some shows to the world. So being now more on the business side of things, like you're running your own you know, company and being an entrepreneur also too, I know you have to cut it out where, what are some of the, 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 the new things that you have learned now being the business owner, running your own show, putting the processes together, the hirees, all that stuff, building a team? Um, how's, how's that been different for you? And what are some of the biggest things you've learned? Uh, that it's 10% um, show and 90% business. Uh, and it's really kind of always been that way. Um, but being a production company, it really is all about, uh, taking the creativity and, and representing it, uh, very strongly within your business model. And our business model, <clears throat> you know, is determined not so much by us, but what is the need for the content and it's supply and demand. So you really have to be very cognizant of what the supply and demand needs are. 
so that you can tailor your creative process to fill those voids. Yeah, I mean, it really is about trying to solve problems for people, right? And, uh, and, and help them kind of guide them through their own lifestyle in whatever way that that is, whether it's entertainment or what we do with health and fitness. And, you know, it, it does come down to identifying the key things that I think people need in their life across the board and then, and then attacking those. Yeah, and, and you never know how that's going to play out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, I love a good challenge, and so I've always challenged myself. So, uh, you know, when I was a, a poor kid growing up in St. Clair Shores, Michigan, I said, I'm going to go and be a stand-up comedian. And everybody's like, yeah, right. And then I said, well, I'm going to be a big TV star. Yeah, right. You know, and then I'm going to go and do voices. Yeah, sure you are, you know. So so I've always challenged myself with the, you know, with the what ifs. What if I, you know, and and – you know, I don't know where my next job is coming from ever, but I love that challenge and it's worked out okay. Uh, and I've learned to certainly learn to trust that over the years. But um, for me now, the what if is what if I become a huge production company that creates loads of family content? And I'm thinking, wow, that would be really cool. I would love to be the next Jim Henson. I would love to be the next Disney. I would love that. You know, why not? So would we, we love that. We need, we need more content like that. But I really love how you said family. You know, I think going back to that, you know, how can I be in the, in the family niche? Cause it all does go back to that, you know, family. And I think again, you know, that's family's a word that represents you and literally starting from full house and all the things you've done. And it, it all does go back to that. And I think more than ever, yeah. we need more family laughing, joy, getting out there, you know, doing doing the things we should be doing, everybody getting together. And not just family, blood family, but everybody collectively as a family. And I think that's so spot on. And it's going to be so amazing. I'm going to be excited to see all the stuff you're going to produce and pump. I'm going to come over and watch it with you and Stella. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> well, family is all I know. It's really all I've got. You know, like I said, I've got a very simple operating system. When I'm writing something, I'm just trying to think of how do I get those parents to laugh on one level and get those kids to laugh on, the, on another level. And I grew up on Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons and Warner Brothers cartoons, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd and Tweety and Sylvester and all those. And they were written on a couple of levels that the writers were thinking, okay, we're making ourselves laugh as adults, <laughs> but we've got to have sparks fly out of that character's butt so the kids laugh. <laughs> And so that's my operating system. I'm thinking about how do I get the entire family to laugh? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's, it's my brand of, of comedy. It's my brand of creativity, which is a little bit goofy, a little bit, um, you, you know, funny. Um, but it's kind of a big dopey kid and, uh, you know, hopefully people find that very easily, <laughs> very, very hopefully it's very easy for people to laugh. Well, I know stuff. I will. I yeah. Know that for a fact. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited, man. I, I, I can't wait for all of this stuff to come out uh, from you and, and the media company and, and to see what you got going on in 2021. Uh, where you said that you're doing a bunch of air force shows. Uh, where are you exactly going to be? I, I'd be interested to, to hear like some of the stops that you're going to take. I'm going to be all over the place. I go, let me look it up here real fast and I'll tell you some of the places we may end up, uh, rescheduling because my first dates are supposed to be in March. 
and if I just search Air Force here, all my dates will come up. Any, anyone in Homestead Air Base down here in, my, in Miami? I don't think so. Most <laughs> of them are, uh, let me just go to my gigs folder and search for uh, Air Force. And they should all come up. Here we go. Okay. Also, um, is is that going to be the, is that your main tour? Or are you also going to be kind of touring around neighboring cities uh, where civilians are, are able to go to the shows? You know, I do a lot of college dates. I do some, some performing arts centers. I don't do, I really don't do clubs anymore. Um, you know, clubs are wonderful to, to work on new material, but as far as, going and doing a tour of, of clubs. Uh, I, I probably will not be doing that. Um, so here we go. This is um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Scott Air Force Base, Belleville, Illinois. Whiteman in Nobnoster, Missouri. Offutt Air Force Base, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Warren, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Ellsworth, Air Force Base, Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota. Grand Forks in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base, Great Falls, Montana. Nice. Fairchild nice. in Spokane, Washington. Uh, Mount Home in Mount Home, Idaho. Hill Air Force Base, Ogden, Utah. Buckley, Denver, Colorado. Uh, Shriver. Shriver or Shriver in Colorado Springs and Patterson, Peterson Air Force Base. Beale Air Force Base in Marysville, California. Travis Air Force Base, Fairfield, California. Vandenberg, uh, Lompoc, California. Edwards Air Force Base, I can't wait to go there. Rosemead, California. Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix. Uh, Davis Air Force Base. Davis Monthan in Tucson. <laughs> Holman in Almogordo, New Mexico, Cannon Air Force Base in Clovis, New Mexico. And my final stop will be in Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What a list. Yeah, wow. Have you done have you done any of these like USO shows before? I have not, you know, and the times where I was going to go overseas and uh, do shows for our troops, I was, you know, I was working on Fuller House or I was working on something and it it always seemed like it ended up so I can't wait to, to do this because our armed services are oh, absolutely incredible groups of people, and I can't wait to go make them laugh. Do you, so. do you also tweak the uh, the comedy act based on the base and the people that are there and the region that they're in? Uh, sometimes I do. Sometimes, you know, usually what, what my little method is is I try to talk about where we're at right up front. Uh, you know, it's nice to be here, you know, at Edwards Air Force Base. You know, it was named after, you know, and then I'll do something about it, you know. Or, you know, I was always that way in clubs, too. You know, it's nice to be here in Miami, um, you know. Uh, you know, I wish I would have uh, uh, parked my low rider in a different place. Right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, I always try to do the joke right up front just because it, it kind of, you know, uh, ingratiates you to the to the people who are there to come to see you you know yeah so. well that that's great that's great that you're able to give back i grew up right near uh fort drum in in upstate new york and it's the largest uh army base in the country so you know military appreciation has always been something that i i really pride yeah. myself on and i think it's so important that we give back to them because you know the sacrifices that they them and their families make are are, are huge astronomical more than 
more than anything yeah. I could ever give up in my life. So, you know, yeah. it's always important to give back. So that's, that's great that you're doing that. And I know that we're almost at an hour, Dave, and I, I, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but I want to first say, I appreciate you coming on. I've been a huge fan of yours for forever. I was super excited. When he told me that, that you booked, I was, I was hyped. I, yeah. I couldn't wait. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I'm a huge fan of comedy. If you do come down to Miami, please let us know. Yes, and, please. and, you know, thanks. We'll uh, we'll promote the hell out of the show. Yeah. We'll we'll come. We'll sit in the front row. We'll we'll be right there to to support you. And your new production company and anything. You oh know, yeah, grilled cheese. We'll promote the the heck out of it. Anything yeah. that you got new projects, well, thank you. Line, we got you. Uh, yeah. When when will this? Uh, when will you start running this? Uh, be about a mo- about a month. Uh, then. About a month. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then uh, I'd like to take this moment to talk about Cut It Outwear at cutitoutwear.com, where you can get goofy shirts, uh, hoodies. Uh, COVID masks, all kinds of stuff. This has been such a hit with people. It was actually, um, we did it a long time ago in my wife's suggestion. She said, you know, you should bring it back because, you know, people pop up wearing your cut it out shirts or your Mr. Woodchuck shirts or your Joey Gladstones or whatever. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Uh, uh, sure. So she's kind of running the show and uh, st- we can't keep the stuff on shelves it's i was uh, i was scrolling through the i was scrolling guy. through the website last you night want, and i get some stuff. i came across a nip slip tea and i was like i gotta get that yep. that's hilarious i was not expecting that and i was like okay this is hilarious i gotta get that oh that's our great. uh wardrobe our yeah. wardrobe <laughs> shirt yeah, yeah it's great yeah, people uh yeah, i see a lot of guys wear those oh i bet, I, I, bet. I don't doubt that function i'm like i that was not designed for you at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's yeah. great it's great yeah no, absolutely. I, I'm telling you, after we're done here, I'm going to go in there, snag a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm going to literally start <laughs> wearing it and put it all over social media. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, definitely get some workout. I'll wear yeah, the I'll wear the well wardrobe malfunction tee when we do some uh, we do some sit ups and some <laughs> some deadlifts. And we and we love it when you you know you uh, go on Instagram or whatever and take a picture with it and send it to me, and then we resend it out. Oh, we'll stuff. definitely we do that. that so yeah, we'll definitely yeah. do that. Well, cool. you know, uh, one last time for me. I know Anthony's got a couple uh, final rapid-fire questions he wants to ask you, but, Dave, thank you again for coming on, man. It's been an absolute Oh, my pleasure. pleasure. You guys are great. Yeah, uh, I'm really happy that we got to do this. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate you, Dave. And, you know, when when I wrote to you, when you wrote back, and I was like, man, like, this was like, man, a childhood dream right here, being able to talk to somebody I've looked up to so long. <laughs> I was literally, like, I was literally like, screaming <laughs> in my apartment. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, I was just <laughs> like, man, it, it literally was like, the jitters, the butterflies, like, man, this is amazing, you know, and I really appreciate you on top of that, you know, taking your time to even sit down with, with other individuals and, and like ourselves who, you know, are starting, coming up, doing stuff and trying to create impact and you giving yourself your time because you're a busy, busy individual. You're somebody who's built a lot of success and you giving your time to come sit with us and share information, laughs and, you know, spread goodness around the world and to our audience and just want to say thank you for that again. Oh, my, my pleasure. So where can people, um, real quick, before uh, I hit you with these questions, where would it be is the, the, the easiest way to find you on social media and your other platforms and connect with you? Uh, just at at uh, D. Coulier, you know. Um, if you Google me, just Dave Coulier, you know, all my oh, stuff. Oh, we can find up. you on Google? Find me there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find all the stuff that's not true about me on there. And, and we'll uh, add some stuff to your Wikipedia page yep. after this. Don't Absolutely. worry. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> do it. I, 
I get a kick out of that stuff. I'm like, wow. Guys, start hitting it more. The cut it out. The 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 clothing line stuff. Follow it more. Click on it more, so you get more pixels. So it gets on your face more, and you can buy more. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I I get a kick out of the total lies that come out, and I'm just like, oh, I can man. only imagine. Somebody Somebody had to really think about this, you know. I can only. I'm glad, I'm glad they're thinking about me, you know. Even <laughs> I mean, it's kind of right. the, not true. The random time when someone like makes a fake Instagram account of me, I'm like, I'm nobody. Like, why okay. are you making? Why are you copying my photos? Like, you know? what's that saying? Uh, all publicity is good publicity. Yeah, I right? guess. Right. I guess. I wish you they know, would pick it, more flattering photos. And that stuff, I've been hacked a bunch of times over the years. I've, I've been on social media. I mean, it's going on probably ten or so years at least now. But I've been hacked and people are like, dude, why did you, why were you uh, hitting on my, my aunt? I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah, you like invited her to your hotel room. And I'm like, well, first of all, I've never been there. So uh, I guess I'm flattered that <laughs> someone went through this much trouble to make a story about me. Oh, my God. I don't know. I uh, It's. It's kind of entertaining when that wow. stuff comes up. I'm like, wow, someone really had to think about this. And this <laughs> is the story. This is the story that they wrote, you know. But, um, you know, it is what it is. And right. Yeah. Fine. So, time to hit you with some of the lighting up round questions. Okay. All righty. Question number one on Full House. Out of all the kids collectively, which one would you say was? the hardest one to get ready on set or to get ready to say their lines or just play the part? Oh, the Olsons. Which one? Because they, they had to bribe them with gummy bears. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a good trick. It's a good trick. I would have loved that. <laughs> when, well, they had, to, they had to prompt them and throw their lines off camera. There was a woman named Adria later, and uh, she would prompt them. And then she'd go, I'll give you a gummy bear. And they'd go, you got it, dude. <laughs> I love it. That's and best. so, uh, but you know, there were, there were some times they're little kids. They're not actors, you know, they're just little kids. And, and, you know, uh, suddenly they're thrust under all these lights with 150 mm -hmm. people watching them and they've got to perform. It's like, that's a tough thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, that was probably the most, most uh, difficult for all the adults on the shows that we had to, wait and wait and wait until they got the line so you know but. question number two what's a scene on the show that we can all remember that you would say was something you did naturally that wasn't scripted uh i got maybe the show where i played hockey just comes natural to you huh <laughs> well i grew up in detroit you know where hockey's mandatory and mm -hmm. um you know, uh, did, did you, feel like the badass you felt like the badass on the show. No, yeah, the no, I've never been a badass hockey player. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would always give the puck to somebody else. Here, <laughs> like, wow, you're I'm not getting really in the passer. fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, wow, you're a really good passer. You the really get man. rid of the yeah. puck fast. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Give it to that guy. He's bigger, stronger, and faster. I would always look at my friends and be like, I'm glad you're the one that has to be the enforcer. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not getting punched in the face. <laughs> like, you know? yeah. Oh man. Love it. Next question. Where was your favorite stand-up comedy show? What city was it? Um, and what was the favorite, what was your, what was your best line you had there? Uh, probably there's a bunch of them. But in the early days when I was starting out here in Detroit, uh, you know, um, 
Tim Allen was, you know, starting with me at the same time. And so, uh, you know, there were some nights when you're just starting to realize, wow, I'm on the right track here. Everybody thinks I'm crazy in my life, but going out and killing in front of an audience, um, you know, and then one night I was at the comedy store and I was uh, at the original room on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood and uh, the place was packed and it was, it was a really electrifying time at the comedy store because Robin Williams was there and George Carlin and Richard Pryor and all these big stars were just there nightly popping in, you know? And so I would have to follow these guys or be on the, share the stage or, you know, uh, you know, I get off stage and here's Robin Williams, you know, and he's shaking your hand going, Oh, nice set. Oh, <laughs> you know? And so it was really, it was an electric time there. It was really an incredible time. So one night, you remember the old Jerbo jeans where they had that little little tag on the front of the zipper and it said Jerbo, yep. you know? And so I'm wearing these pants one night and it's a packed room and it's just everybody's there watching and, and I'm having a great set. And right before I'm about to deliver one of my best punchlines, there's a guy in the front row and he's pointing at the front of my pants. And I'm like, dude, what, what are you doing? What? what Okay, everybody sees you point. You're in the front row, and you're pointing at my crotch. And he goes, what does it say on the front of your pants? And I looked down, and I said, oh, it says, if you can read this, you're blowing me. (laughs) (laughs) And got a huge laugh. Such a good heckler response. And I walked off. I said, I'm not going to get a bigger laugh than that. I went, good night. Yeah, that's great. And, um, yeah, and then I remember uh, I actually – my agents were – I hadn't signed with anybody yet, and my agents – we're sitting in the back of the room and they came up to me afterwards and they were laughing so hard. They go, that was brilliant. What was that? Couldn't have been a set line. And I said, no, it wasn't. And they said, you know, we'd like to talk about signing you. And I ended up signing with those agents. Incredible. The next day. Incredible. Yeah. I got a question for you. When you were starting out, who was, who was your favorite headliner to open for? Um, you know, uh, Shambling was great. Um, headliners. I started headlining early, um, so I didn't have to really open a whole lot. Um, I know that may sound weird, but I started headlining when I was 19. Wow. Um, so I, you know, didn't have the opener experience for, for very long, but, uh, uh, or even know, your favorite I, person to work with, you know, who, who would that have been? Um, Shandling, Saget, mm. um, you know, I, there were some brilliant comedians that no one's, you know, no one's really heard. There was a guy named Tim Thomerson who was brilliant. There was a comedian <clears throat> by the name of Jeff Altman who was brilliant. And, you know, for one reason or another, those guys didn't, you know, explode but there were nights where I would just watch them and just go, wow, these guys are just so funny and so brilliant on stage. And, and, um, you know, but I got to, like I said, it was comedy college for me. So I got to see Jim Carrey as a kid, you know, um, in Toronto at Yuck Yucks, you know, and I just thought, my gosh, how can you have that much talent? (laughs) He was so talented. 
And uh, I would just marvel at him on stage and what he could do and what he was able to, to bring to that audience. And, you know, uh, seeing guys like Howie Mandel and Jerry Seinfeld and Dennis Miller and Louie Anderson and, you know, uh, David Spade and all these wonderful people who would become huge stars, you know, Ray Romano. And, you know, I was there. I was there when we were all nobodies. What an incredible was, experience. It was, an incredible, it was a really incredible time, you know. I went with Gary Shandling to his first Tonight Show. Wow. Um, I went with him to, a, like, his first seven or eight appearances because we used to write together. Incredible. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was an amazing time. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. What a life. I got two last yeah, questions cool. for you. What's the craziest and wildest experience you ever had in your career? I can't talk about it, but, um, man, it was fun. Uh, no, um, craziest or wildest, um, you know, there were, there were times when I was first starting out as a standup in the early eighties and everybody was doing Coke and I was just a young guy, you know, and, didn't realize that the whole audience was so coked up out of their minds. You're just wondering why everyone's going to the bathroom every five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is everyone smelling cool their keys in the, in the audience? And like, I've never, yeah, do, do yeah. keys smell just, good? What's going on? Yeah. Here? It was, it was a really weird time, you know? And I remember everybody just doing drugs, like the, the club owners, the, the bouncer, the cop, the every, it was just everywhere. And, and it was just, especially in comedy clubs. And so you'd get off stage and I was 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. And everybody would offer you Coke. And I, I never took it because I was always afraid someone was going to put something in it mm. and you'd go berserk, yeah. you know? Yeah. Good call. So I, never, I, I just never accepted drugs from anybody or drinks. You know, I was always so paranoid that someone was going to slip something you know, put LSD. I don't know why LSD was <laughs> yeah. LSD was what always my said that would have been. Yeah, right? What uh, said that gonna, someone's going to give me LSD. You know, I never took LSD my entire life, but I, I was always afraid of it. Like, ah, oh, someone's going to put LSD in the like, oh, shit, I'm Yeah, well, coming from someone who took too much acid in college, you're probably lucky that you didn't, that, that you didn't have that opportunity. <laughs> well, I definitely I'm not can. saying I won't. I'm not saying I won't ever try it. You know? Yeah, there's but there's probably better spots to do it than right? than the comedy store, you know. I think, you know, I think I'm gonna do all the really weird bad stuff when 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 I know it's my time. When I go. know I'm just I'm just laying there going, you know what? I haven't tried acid. Oh my god, give me some acid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna trip like crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know. But yeah, uh, someday, you know, Here's my week. every day yeah. I'm going to well, try this. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, the good thing for you is I don't think any of that stuff is going anywhere anytime soon. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's there. Yeah, it's there. You know, I want to see what the big deal is with heroin. <laughs> yeah, that What's might that be about? that yeah. might be a deathbed situation, right? Just, that's yeah. the last one. That's the one on yeah, Sunday. Yeah. That's the the to go. Come on, drug. man! Yeah. Come on, smack me out right now! <laughs> oh man. Well, Dave, last and final question. What's the biggest piece of advice you can leave off to all our listeners today in one sentence? If you want to be successful, look inside yourself. Love that. Yeah, that's because great. Success isn't out there. It's always within your being. 
and you'll find success if you're willing to go inside and dig it out. Amazing. You guys heard it. You Amazing. Guys heard but it everybody, everybody has a success story inside them. I really believe that about people. You just have to really want to go inside and, and sometimes that's painful. Mm-hmm. You may have to do some things you don't want to do and, and pull yourself out of your comfort zone. But if you really want to be successful at something, uh, look inside yourself and, and that will determine how far you're going to go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dave, what a, what a tremendous really experience this you. was for us and, and such <laughs> a great time talking to you. You know, Thanks, every, guys. everyone who's listening, make sure you guys check out Fuller House on Netflix. Make sure you guys check out all the great stuff Dave's got coming out on Grilled Cheese Media. Yep. I know we're excited for that. So much love. can't wait. Until next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Sweat It Out with Anthony Mendez and Josh Evans. Enjoyed this episode? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review.